Take your Bibles, open them up to Revelation chapter 7. And our goal today is to study God's Word, to get into it, and to get it into us, so we can be motivated to be the people that God's called us to be, so we can be the men and women that God has designed us to be. Tomorrow we're hosting a memorial at 11 a.m., local gal passed away, we're celebrating her life. And every time I do a mem- memorial, I'm just reminded of our immortality. We're not, we're, we're, we're not gonna live forever here. Our days are numbered. My pastor, Mark Anderson, he told me before I left the church there nine years ago and came here, that one of his favorite things to do as a pastor was becoming and had become memorials. And I looked at him, I said, are you sick? He said, no. They're just, they're those, as you get older and as you see people, you, you realize that this life is so short and it's so difficult. And, and, and there's celebrations. And, and, and as pastors, we get to marry him. And then we get to carry him, that is baby dedication. And then we get to bury him. Okay, marry him, carry him, and bury him. That's what we do as pastors. We, we, we all the stages of life. And as I consider my life, I don't know when my last day is. I don't know when your last day is. But to not be mindful of it would most likely lead you into foolish living, even if it's just momentary, foolish thinking. But to be reminded of the fact that life is short. And have you noticed that life is tough? Okay. And God is good. And this is what the Christian church, the message of the church That life is tough. We're not surprised by that. Life is short. We know that. But God is good. And that is our message. In the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the carnality, in the midst of the difficulty. And this all comes from and stems from the anchor of our souls, which is the hope that we find in the word of God through Jesus Christ. And so I'm so privileged to study with you again. This is part 23 of our study in the book of Revelation, maybe part 22. I lost count a couple of parts ago. And I'm gonna read to you now out of chapter seven. I'll remind you though, chapter seven is a timeout in the judgment of God. God is pouring out his judgment. He is pulling back his ownership of the title deed of planet earth through the redemption paid through his son, Jesus Christ, the blood of the lamb, the perfect one. And now he is taking back what is rightfully his, which just ponder with me, He could have done this 1,000 years ago, could he not? He could have done it 1,500 years ago. He could have done it 1,900 years ago. The earth is rightfully his. Jesus Christ died, paid for the sins of the world, and then rose victoriously from death. It's now his. And the disciples even asked Jesus 40 days after his resurrection. That scared us that one time you died. Don't ever do that again. And then they said to Jesus, are you at this time now going to restore Israel to her glory? Are you going to do what we want you to do right now? And Jesus said, that's not for you to know. My father knows that. But you shall receive power and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. My dad, my father will do what he's going to do. It's his job. Don't worry about his job. But you do have a job. And you actually should. I'll put it in quotes, worry about your job. That is, be mindful. Your job is to receive that power. Praise God for the power. Because I'm powerless. and I'm such a baby. Maybe you're like me, I'm just a baby. But through Christ, I can do all things. 
when I receive that power, then and only then can I be a witness in my life, in the way that I live, and what I speak, and what I do, and what I believe. And the rest of the world will see that there is a God who is good in the midst of a life that is tough, that is difficult. And so as we look to Revelation 7, we see the future now. God saying, I will restore planet Earth to myself, and I will judge righteously because I'm a judge who has one side that is righteous and true and just and light and pure and cannot condescend. And yet I have another side that is merciful and gracious and patient and forbearing, and long-suffering, and listen, condescending to humanity. That is that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't this amazing? If our God was only righteous, pure, true, just, light, everything over here, that's good enough for me. That's Jesus' everything. But instead, he wraps himself in pure love. He says, no, I'm not coming back right now. I got stuff to do be my witnesses. Here's the power. Now go. And I can imagine from time to time the disciples cried out, Lord, you going to come back now? Not yet. Okay, how about now? Nope. And maybe John, before he was dying on the island of Patmos, is like, all right, Lord, you said that one time that some of you might not die, the apostles, before we see the coming of the Son of Man in his kingdom. Everyone's dead but me. I'm the last one. So are you going to return now? And immediately, on the Lord's day, John was in the spirit, and he was caught up in a vision. And the Lord showed him the end. Not because the end was near then, but because God had promised to John that. And he showed him the revelation. In order that he himself would be encouraged then, that he would know what's going on, that the blood that had been shed was not shed in vain. That the death of the martyrs was indeed the seed of the church that God had a plan. And as I continue to read ahead, have you guys been reading ahead in the book of Revelation? Okay, it gets a little scary. As you read into chapters 8, 9, and 10, you need a nightlight to sleep, you know. It gets scary. The trumpets start blowing, the judgments start coming out. 100-pound hailstones coming from the sky. and A third of all humanity perishes. A third of the boats, a third of the sea is poisoned and destroyed. It's just a lot of chaos that comes. As God restores that which is rightfully his. And listen, not just restores, but rescues those who will see him. And so when we ask the Lord, Lord, what are you doing? Are you going to restore Israel to her glory now? Are you going to restore America to her glory now? Are you going to restore my finances to their glory I never had? Before, you know, are you, you going to help me, Lord? And the Lord says, don't worry about any of that. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. You be witnesses. One time, Peter objected to what the Lord had told him. The Lord said, you're going to be led places and die a death that you didn't choose. Speaking of his crucifixion upside down. And Peter objected. He's like, whoa, what about this other guy? Jesus said, don't worry about him. Okay, don't worry about him. Do you ever worry about the people next to you? I'm not talking about your spouse or your kids. I'm talking about the people, you know, that have life differently. I do. I get distracted. What I want to do is I want to be grounded I want to be firm, immovable. And again, we, we prayed this morning at 8.30. We do this at 8.30. And now we've added to our services on Sunday a 5.30 prayer time before the 6. 
you want to come back for the 6 p.m. service and pray for our, our service tonight, you can do that. And, and as we prayed this morning, I was just so in awe of God's faithfulness in my faithlessness. And not just my faithlessness, but every man, every woman that I read in the scriptures. Every one of them are prone to wander. They're prone to weakness, man. They get it twisted. One little bad email comes in and they freak out. And yet God is the one who's faithful. And so in Revelation 7, if you've been traveling with us, I don't, I don't have time to put together all the past teachings. But John is now seeing the future. The church has been raptured. They're in heaven, protected from the wrath of God, as the scriptures say the church would be. And yet the wrath of God must be poured out, that cleansing agent of God's grace in order to renew and to refurbish the earth. He's not done with the earth. And even as his wrath is being poured out, his grace and mercy are equally being extended. For seven years, known as the Great Tribulation, there will be people being saved by the billions. The same way you and I got saved, bowing the knee, confessing with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. And if and then and when you and I and they do this, they will also, like you and I, receive God's grace and mercy. So I want to read to you, beginning in verse 9, and I'm going to pray. It says, after these things, after what things? After the sealing of the 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe of Jacob, each were sealed in order to serve, listen, in order that some might be saved. There's no difference for you and I. You've been sealed in order that we would serve, that some would be saved. So good. Paul, a Jew, said, I've become all things to all people that some might become saved. To the Jew, I become Jewish. I do Jewish things with my Jewish brothers so I can tell them about Jesus. And to my Gentile friends, I, I get a little Gentile with them so I can tell them about Jesus. And with my Greek friends, I get a little, little Greeky with them, a little Greek yogurt for everybody. And with my slave buddies, okay, I shackle up next to them to tell them about Jesus. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all the nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Stop right there, eyes up here. You guys remember that five of the seals, six seals have been opened at this point. The four riders of the apocalypse have been released. Martyrdom has been experienced by many. There's been cataclysmic chaos in the cosmos. That is, volcanoes and earthquakes and moons turning blood red and suns going sackcloth of black. And in the middle of all this, the angels hold back the winds of judgment. 144,000 are sealed. And now this number, this innumerable number show up. These are called tribulation saints. Those that, listen, rejected Jesus during your life and my life here as Christians, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, your moms or dads or sons or daughters, the ones who do not yet know and love Jesus. They see your life and they just think you're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. They think you're drinking your bathwater. 
And you keep telling them Jesus loves them, and they keep saying, nye, 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 you know, and they just, they don't receive it. And you know what Jesus says? He says, I got a, I got a plan for them too. I got a plan for them too. That's why evangelism is so important nowadays. Evangelism, sharing the gospel, sharing what you know, telling people that Jesus loves them. The other day I was in Corvallis and I was going to teach it real life, the college group over there. It was with Kevin Caseda and we went to Chipotle and we were in line and the couple in front of us was trying to pay and he kept hitting his pockets and he said, oh, I don't have my wallet. And everyone's looking around like, whoa, you know. And I looked at Kevin, I said, well, I'll buy it for you. You and your girlfriend or your wife or whatever, you know, just two extra meals, I'll buy it. And he, what, no, 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 let me, it's not a big deal. You forgot your wallet, I don't want you to go to jail for stealing. I'll buy it for you, you know. And so he, he let me buy it. I, I bought his food and me and Kevin's as well and I reached out and shook his hand and I looked him in the eyes. I said, in Jesus' name, be blessed. And he stopped and stared at me, looked at his wife, looked back at me. And then they had a conversation. He didn't acknowledge me anymore. And he said to her, maybe we should go to that prayer meeting we were talking about earlier today. <laughs> it was cool. And I said, oh, you guys are Christians. Yeah, we're Christians. We were just deciding we were going to go pray with our church tonight or not. And I guess Jesus bought our dinner, so we have to, you know. And But I wanted him to know. I didn't know if he was a Christian. There's no way to tell. And so I said, look, this is from Jesus to you. This is from Jesus to you and everything. And, and, and I took a risk. And the person, you know, evangelism, it's, it's, it's going to bear fruit in people's lives now and during this time. This group of people, this innumerable crowd, John sees it. God shows them because do you think John was discouraged there on the beach? Do you think he was overwhelmed? Do you think he had questions? Guys, we put these, these apostles on pedestals. You think he was angry? He'd been boiled alive. Didn't die. His buddies had been beheaded. John is not any different than you. He had emotions like, oh man, Lord. Lord, you said. And at one point, the disciples looked at Jesus and said, we've given everything for you, bro. We left everything. What's up, dog? What do we do? And they didn't know. We have these emotions. And so Jesus gives John this revelation. This is what he saw. Verse 13. Then one of the elders, we're going to talk about this guy just a little bit more today. This is a church saint, New Testament saint, one who's been raptured, one who knows what's going on. These are the elite and the elect, okay? If you look to your left or right, you'll see some of them right now. Okay, it's you guys. The church. One of the elders answered, saying to me, that is John, the elder says, who are these arrayed in white robes and <clears throat> where'd they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know. And so he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. They didn't stay in it. They came out of it. And they washed their robes and made them white. How? In the blood of the lamb. Therefore... I've got that circled in my Bible. Anytime there's a therefore, it's usually therefore a reason. I'm giving you guys all the tips to Bible study. Therefore, okay, they went through a tribulation, they came out of a tribulation, and they found the blood in the tribulation. Not their blood, the blood of the Lamb. Because you might think that you get a special badge just for suffering, and I understand. 
You might think you get some special notoriety just because of your difficulty alone. Listen, it is in Jesus' name when you suffer and for his glory. And, and, and you don't get sanctified, that is, saved by suffering. Okay, you're saved one way, the blood. The blood. These guys suffered. You could actually say, oh, these guys died in the tribulation for sure. Oh, that's horrible. That's, that's crazy. Come on into heaven. That's not what got them into heaven. They were made white by the blood of the lamb. Therefore, verse 15, they are before the throne of God. Number one, we'll talk about this today. And serve him day and night in his temple. We'll talk about that. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. We'll talk about that. What's it going to be like in heaven for these tribulation saints and not just them, but for you and I, who are New Testament saints, the church. Verse 16, this would be refreshing. They shall neither hunger anymore, nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. Saying this in and of itself denotes that they had hungered, that they had thirsted, that they had been torched. And yet in heaven, all of those tears will be wiped away. Verse 17, for the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Would you pray with me as we study God's word and ask him to encourage us in today's day and age? Father, we read your word and now we're gonna study it and apply it to our lives. We pray that that, act in and of itself would be honoring to you. The Bible says that you have taken your word and esteemed it even above your own name. And so we're going to look into your word. The Bible says faith comes by hearing the word of God. And so we need faith. We need to exercise that muscle. And I am so privileged to even speak today at all. That means I'm alive. I'm so privileged to breathe and listen. What a day. And I pray you'd anoint this service, Lord, and the rest to come today. And you would speak to our hearts. Every man, every woman here. I think of the disciples who said, Lord, are you going to do what we want to see done now? He said, no. No, the Father will do that later. You be witnesses. And each one of those men and women, 120 or so, Receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and the world was changed. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here, myself, that we would receive the power of the Holy Spirit today. Lord, forgive us for settling for less, for looking elsewhere, for getting confused. Thank you for your word, which is a lamp and a light. We pray you'd bless this time now we have together. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Well, you guys, we've been kind of going over the same stuff for weeks now here in Revelation 7. I just can't get myself to get out of it. There's so much application for our lives that we would be the church that God wants us to be and we're not just looking for information I'm excited to get to chapters 8 through 19 and the rest of the books where we say all these antichrist stuff and all the information but what we're really looking for is transformation and what we're looking for is not just transformation but we're looking for application in our lives okay listen listen don't go so quick to applying stuff in your life before you get illumination okay that is understanding to the kingdom of heaven if you really know what God is doing, who God is. Listen, what God's done, what God has promised to do, then you'll know how to apply 
and walk in the illumination that God has given to us. How to redeem the days, for they are what? Starts with E and rhymes with evil. The days are evil. Need some more coffee for everyone. Okay. Maybe crack a door or two. It's a little hot in here. Listen, guys, the goal is not just information, but transformation. Hearts that come alive. I want my life to count. Okay? I really do. There'll be a judgment. Your lives will be judged too. Everything that you've done, the Bible declares as a believer, okay, as a believer, your sins, woohoo, paid for, woo. But everything after that will be burned with fire, okay? And the things that were just of you and of the world and weird, big old bonfire, okay? And the things that were done for the Lord, precious stones and gems and metals, they will remain, and that will be yours in heaven, Okay. And I'm so thankful that God's grace is sufficient. Your sins have been judged that we won't be held accountable for those because Christ was held accountable in your place. And yet I want my life to be impacted by the things of God. Now, here's the deal. Uh, two main benefits to studying God's word. If you're a note taker, write these things down. Uh, number one is we get to know who God is in the past. Okay? We, we see what God has done and we better understand him and how he's worked through history. I have a decent understanding of the scriptures. I've read it all. I've studied through most books. I get the overall stories. And in it, it shows God is the hero and man is the zero, okay? And God's okay with it. God's okay supplying himself as the hero to every situation. And that, whew, makes me happy. Then I understand, okay, God knows what he's doing. And if I come up short, he's gonna be faithful to supply that which I need. It's so awesome. I know that historically from the scriptures, but I don't just want to study the Bible and then look back and say that God's been good. That's awesome. I want to also look at the scriptures and see what God has declared about what he's doing in the future. You know, you guys know this is a prophetical book. This is a futuristic book. This isn't Jonah. This isn't a historical book. This isn't Luke. This isn't, you know, Jeremiah. This isn't something that's happened. This is what God is going to do. And it helps me to then order my steps because I know who God has been, what God's doing, but I also know what God's going to do, what he has declared to do. Let me read to you out of the book of Daniel, though. Because Daniel is also prophetical. Daniel tells us what God's going to do in the future, things that have not yet been done. Okay, this is Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. You can write it down. Look it up later. Daniel says this about the Antichrist and about the end times. He says, those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. This is the Antichrist. But the people who know their God, they shall be strong and do great exploits. What? This morning in my prayer timer, maybe it was... About 5 a.m., I was laying in bed, praying and sleeping. You ever do that before? Lord, I'm going to pray, but I'm not getting out of bed. <laughs> Good luck with that. And luckily, the Lord sustained me, and I didn't fall back asleep. And I was praying. And the Lord reminded me of Daniel, chapter 11, verse 32, where Daniel declares, those who know their God shall do great exploits. And I'm going to just confess something. I knew that verse was there. I didn't realize, though, the context was so unique. If you read the verse which I just read to you, it's specifically talking about those tribulation saints. The Lord spoke that. He's like, hey, remember that verse in Daniel? Go look that up right now. And I did. And I was like, what? I've been quoting that verse for years. Those who know the Lord shall do great exploits because if you know who God is and what God's doing, you know what you're actually going to do? Great exploits. You're going to run your life for God's glory and others good. You're just going to do it. I believe some of you are doing that. That's my goal. I, I, would, I would say in, 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 by God's grace, that's what I'm doing. I'm doing great exploits. Why? Because I know my God. I know what he's up to. And he declares, not just you guys, this is applicational for you and me, but also for the tribulation saints, that they would be the ones who know their God and know what's going on. And here's the idea that the scriptures show us 
in every chapter and every page. God uses ordinary people in every generation to do extraordinary things. He's done this historically. He's doing this currently. Listen, he'll do it prophetically in the future. This is great news. Because sometimes we get on that weird hunt for a hero, the, the special one, you know, the, the, the savior, that the human savior, politically or economically, or even relationally, just looking for that one person. God says, no, I, I use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That's not even a question. Here's the real question. Will you in your life volunteer to be an ordinary person and let God do extraordinary things? Will you just volunteer? It's, it's that easy. Will you just say, Lord, use me to do, so, to do something, to serve in one way, shape, or another? Daniel concludes in chapter 12, his book, and he talks about the end. I'm just going to read it to you. It's, it's four verses. It's lengthy, but I'm going to read it. Daniel says, at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been or since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, speaking of Israel, everyone who is found written in the book and Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. Verse three, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Daniel, two verses, two chapters, 11 and 32. Speaking of the end of those tribulation saints of the church now and our purpose and what we're to be about. Why? because that's God's, God's purpose, and that's what God's about. And if you know who God is and what God's doing, you'll do great exploits too. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For God became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Daniel prophesied and encouraged his people. John prophesied and encouraged his people, and God, through his word, is encouraging you and me now. He's not done yet. And, and I, I just I need to encourage you guys because, man, I... I, I actually, last Sunday, I taught three services and filmed a couple of videos at the end. And then I went home, and I got home about 9 o'clock. And my wife and I feverishly packed everything we owned into five suitcases. And the next day, we woke up, and 8 a.m., we got in the car, and we drove to Portland, and we got on an airplane and flew to L.A. on Monday. And we landed in L.A., and then we stayed there and took a bus to Anaheim. We went to this little place called Disneyland. You ever heard of a Disneyland? We went down to Disneyland, and I'll be honest, I put my helmet on, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, man, you know, and I was ready to, you know, it was, it was crazy. You ever been down, you ever been to California before? It's crazy. They don't call it California Adventures for nothing, you know, man. We went down there, and, and I'm going to be honest, I just, I just, it was tough being in that environment, and, and it was just, and I wasn't the, the nicest person or the most benevolent person the whole time, even in just my judgment of people. I wasn't mean to anybody, but I, but I, I judge the outside. Do you, do you guys still judge the outside when you see people? Anybody do that besides me and Dan up here? Okay, yeah. Well, you know, and the rest of you guys are holy. And I, I, and I want to always remind myself, Daniel says, okay, God's going to be saving people. John saw this salvation. God's not, even during, after the rapture, God will be radically saving people. Now, this is the 9 a.m. service. This is the, you know, the proper service, the 9 a.m. service. But, but let's just do an experiment here. If you've been radically saved, okay, I mean, you were like, whoa, dude, for real, radically saved, and had your life absolutely changed, can you just put up your hand, loud and proud? Okay, loud. Whoa, dang, yeah. Why am I the only one clapping? This is crazy. Do you guys know? Another round of coffee for everyone. This is incredible. 
the Lord saves. The highways and the byways, the uttermost of the guttermost. Come to the 11 a.m. service, man, they are rough. You should check out the 6 p.m. Don't bring your kids. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Just kidding. Oh, man, I was, I, I was radically saved. Radically saved. Through tribulation. Washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. And now day and night. I'm before his throne. Serving him. And he's with me. Just like these guys. It's a radical testimony. And yet I'm not like our Savior. I don't look at everybody as being qualified for that. And it's a mistake. I judge the outward appearance. The Lord said, I don't judge the outward appearance. I'm looking at hearts. I'm looking at hearts. And I want this to change our perspective of who God is so we would be changed and be the people that God wants us to be. Now here's the funny thing. After these things, verse 9 he looks and he sees an innumerable group. And he doesn't know who this group is. And let me just make a couple observations that I haven't pointed out yet. John did recognize the church, the elders, okay? He knew who the church was in chapters two through three. This is not the church. This is a different group. Unless there'd be anybody here who's still confused and thinks that the church will be saved out of the tribulation. The church will be raptured before the tribulation. And there will be another group saved out of the tribulation, tribulation saints, the Bible says in Matthew 24, Jesus said it this way, before the coming of the Son of Man, the gospel will be preached to every nation, every person. I believe that is happening in this portion of Scripture, where the 144,000 are preaching, where the two angels, or that one angel and the two witnesses are giving their testimony. I believe it's happening during this time. So those things are being fulfilled, and this elder now asks this question of John, who are these guys? Now, this is, I think it's week four, okay? I'm just gonna say this, that I've pointed out this elder and his responsibility. That's you guys, that's the church. He is a leader because he knows what's going on and he's a little bit in front of John, which essentially technically makes him a leader because he's just a little bit further down the road. He's just a leader, it's not that hard. Here's the funny thing. I got this text this morning. Okay, I'm gonna read it to you. It says this. It says, when I read over Revelation 7, it says the elder asked him, who are these people dressed in white? Where did they come from? And he replies, John, you are the one who knows. And the elder proceeds to tell him who they are. But why did he even ask, cry face? Now, the reason I point that out to you, because the person who sent this to me listens to not one, not two, but all three sermons every single week for the last four weeks in a row. And I've been telling you who this elder is and why they do it. And this person missed it. They didn't even get it. John's over here laughing. I don't want to embarrass the person who texted me, so I'll just give you her initials. Her initials are Sarah Yardley. So let me clarify one more time for the fifth time. Maybe, I don't know. This elder is, is, a, is a Christian who knows what's up. They get it. They understand. They're not like Chicken Little running around trying to figure out what's going on. They get it. And so this elder on purpose finds other people that don't get it and asks them engaging questions. This elder walks up to John. Who are these guys? Knowing all along who they were. And John says, I, I'm just a guest here. I don't even know if I'm a hologram or what I'm doing here in heaven. You know, like, you know, don't you know? Yeah, I do. And then he gives us this thoughtful, heartfelt answer. As Christians, we have knowledge, and it's got to be wrapped up in heartfelt delivery. If you are proud of your knowledge and you're standing in God and in Christ and righteousness, but have disdain for others, okay, time out. You got to get love for others. 
This elder knew what was going on, had love and compassion, and shared it then. Let me just talk about leadership, because it's so important that we, the church, you're not here just to get good coffee, which we need three shots now for everyone. We're not just here for good coffee and a couple good illustrations. You're here, okay, to be equipped, listen, for the work of the ministry. You're here to be an evangelist of some sort. You won't be like me, because you're not me. Don't try and be me, okay? I'm not going to try and be you. You be you. I'll be me, okay? Deal. But the Lord wants to shine his light through your life. I gave you three reasons why people don't share last week. Number one is the fear of inferiority. I just don't know enough, okay? Well, don't worry about what you don't know. Share what you do know. It's not that hard. Or the fear of failure. It won't work. They won't actually be changed. That's not your problem either, okay? He didn't ask us to plant seed where we think it's going to bear fruit. He said, go all, all over the place. Just share the word. And the third reason why we won't share is not the fear of inferiority or the fear of failure, but the fear of success, that is that if it does work, you're actually going to have to be nice to this person until they die. <laughs> have you ever made eye contact with a stranger? It's the worst thing in the world. Because all of a sudden, you've got to be nice to a stranger. You know, I, I, on purpose, Disneyland, four days in a row, three days in a row, I made sure not to make eye contact with anybody because I don't want to be nice to anybody. Okay? It's the fear of success. It's selfishness, really. Why wouldn't you be the light? Why wouldn't you go to your neighbor's house and learn their first and last names? Make them a Christmas goodie this year. Pray for him. Well, I just, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard, okay? Can we just, it's hard because we're selfish. Let me just give you a few points. And I should have been wrapping up by now, but I'm going to keep going. Leadership. Okay, leadership, you're Christians. You're the elders. You're the believers. You're the ones that are being equipped right now. It's easy to maybe look at the stage, look at Pastor Ryan, or look at the board over there and see the the leadership team say, ah, that's my team. I'm going to go team, and we're going to go. We're doing it. But you sit here, and you listen to the word of God in order to have this holy huddle, God bless you, and then to go out into the world and to share the game plan, to execute it. Leadership, this is what you guys, okay, here's just a few thoughts. Leadership, okay, that's you. Here's just a few mistakes. A lot of people think leadership is confused with going further than everyone else. If you're a leader, I just got to stay in front of other people. You ever see it that way? I just got to know more. I'm, I'm a leader, so I got to make sure I know more. That's not real leadership. Okay? It's not a competition here. Matter of fact, if you're leading a business or a team or organization and you're just trying to be in front of other people, careful, careful. Okay? Leadership is also not this. It's not just amassing a group of followers. You can think it that way. I got a bunch of people following me. I'm a good leader. Well, that's a form of leadership, but it's also stunted and muted. It's not executed to the full development. I believe a leader is this. Not one who just stays in front of others, not one who gets a bunch of people following them. A real leader, okay, of all levels, is somebody who finds others who know less than them, equips them in order to catapult them forward beyond them, in order to make other people leaders, in order to help others grow. Not just presenting yourself as the leader, the boss, the manager, the owner, the CEO, the CFO, and all of these names that we come up with, but instead changing your heart and saying, I want you to know more than I do. I want you to do more than I have. I want you to go further. I want you to grow. I don't want you to just flex in front of you. And so the only way to do that is to take what you know and willingly and gladly share it with others, hoping that they go beyond you. I got three kids, and I primarily look at them as those who I want to do more than I've ever imagined. Okay, and I look at the youth here and the people. What a bummer of a leadership style to just amass a bunch of followers, to just try and stay in front of everyone, 
but instead to say, you know what? This elder here, what's he doing up there with John? John's looking around like a country bumpkin, has no clue what's going on. And this elder says, you, I can tell you what's going on. And he leads him, and he shares. Let me just say a few more things, because I want you to struggle with this with me this week. Because it really doesn't have anything to do with your inferiority, your fear of failure. Maybe it does have to do with your fear of success. It has to do with your heart. Okay, being in L.A. and Anaheim, I just, you know, I was nice to a few people. People that, people that gave me cuts on the rides and stuff like that. Well, it's going to be a totally different sermon at the 11, just so you guys know. <laughs> totally different sermon. It starts with your heart, though. Do you really love people? Do you really love people? See, see, God is true, righteous, and just, and that's legit. If you know the truth, man, good job. Trophy for you, participation trophy. You did a good job. But do you also love people unconditionally? Do you weep for those who weep? Do you, do you, do you actually love people? Jesus had dinner with his disciples the night he was betrayed and before the morning he would be killed, and they all had dirty feet. And Jesus, on purpose, didn't touch them. He gave opportunity for the disciples to wash each other's feet. It was custom. It actually would have been awkward during dinner for everyone to realize none of us, not one of us have clean feet still. This is, this is weird. They, on purpose, and so at the end of supper, Jesus stands up and he takes his jacket off and he puts on a servant's robe. And he gets down and he washes their feet. He washes their feet because they were dirty for sure, okay? But then at the end, he said something. He said, I just did something for you guys. It was an example. That's what he said. I've done this as an example for you. Now go and do this to others. I would have imagined Jesus at that point to say, I'm God. I'm the big wig. I wash your feet. Now wash mine. I would have been fine with that. Wash Jesus' feet. I love God, right? He didn't say love me more. He said love others more. Jesus, had, Jesus never got his feet washed that party in his main message before he went and died for everyone guys I know you love me I know you're here but it's your, your love for one another that is brutally barren and Jesus said in John 13 they'll know you're my disciples by your righteousness truth justice nope by your love for one another by your love. See, the evidence that God is presenting to this world through you isn't just knowing the right answers. Super attractive and necessary. You better know the right answers. But if you have all the right answers and lack love, it's worthless. Until you get both. Both in combination. As a matter of fact, if you... If you're off drugs and you're, you're sober and you're reformed, or maybe you've never done drugs and you've never had problems, but, but you're holy and you're pure. If you're, if you're all those things, but you don't have love, you're just a religious person. The world is looking for behavior modification, okay, where we just change the outside behavior. God's not that impressed with the outside behavior modification, that's a fruit. What the Lord's looking for is an internal, absolute transformation where you see people differently. Remember the Philippian jailer? 
We're not sure, but he may have been the one that beat Silas and beat Paul and imprisoned them. He was the guard on, on duty. And he came to know, the, know Jesus that night. And the Bible shows us that as soon as he came to know Jesus, he did a few things. Number one, he cleansed the wounds of those who he'd impacted and inflicted. He became a servant, brought him into this house, fed them. You'll know the true workings of God in an individual, the church, the elders, the saints, the evangelists, me and you. You'll know not just when you're standing in righteousness, truth, justice, and the light, and sober and clean and holy, not just there, but when you actually become a servant of others, when you truly love people. And this is where I think the Lord has South Beach Church right now. That we would just say, Lord, oh man, we, we live in a small community, do we not? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And we, we, ha- we can have an impact in our local area. Up and down the coast and inland, we can have an impact. Okay? Not just by amassing a bunch of followers, a bunch of Jesus' real shirts and SB circles. and Not, not just that. Those are super cool. Ten bucks on sale today. Not just that, but literally being the aroma of Christ everywhere we go, repenting daily of our selfishness, our stuff, and I'm so encouraged that the 12 apostles missed it so brutally there with Jesus. When I confess to you that I don't always have the best outlook on people, I'm just being honest with you guys, I don't. And, and I, I can be honest with you because I need to be honest with myself. And yet I'm not alone. I see. I see God is the hero and me is the zero. And yet God says, let's team up. Let's yoke up. You're all messed up. I'm not. We can do great things together through me when I give you strength. And this is all from Jesus. It's amazing. It's the greatest news you'll ever hear. And so if you've been cantankerous, if you've been judgmental, if you've been small, if you've been selfish, if you've been mean, if you've been these things, okay, you're no different than everybody. And the Lord says, that's why I still have you here. I'm working this out. Your heart is my soil, okay? And I'm breaking you up, breaking up that fallow ground. You ever garden before? It's horrible, horrible. There's a lot of work, a lot of work involved. It's way easier to go to Fred Meyer's and get a $1.99 head of lettuce, okay? I'm just telling you. But somebody had to grow that lettuce. And the Lord's growing fruit in your hearts. These people who come into God's presence, worshiping and praising, the elder, verse 14, he's asked and shares freely. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, verse 14. I want you guys to pay attention to a few things. We love to study the Bible and make applications to ourselves, and, and we're going to do that. I want you to see the threefold application to what got these guys to Jesus. Number one is the tribulation. They, they didn't stay in the tribulation. They came out of it. Did you know that when you go through a trial and a tribulation, that it usually comes to pass? It doesn't come to stay? And God's doing stuff in your trials and tribulation? James says this, rejoice, count it all joy. You fall into various trials. James and Peter both. Talking about what God does in the trials. Trials are designed. Okay, Tribulation is designed, just like we see here, to bring you to Jesus. Somebody needs to hear that right now because you're ticked off. 
Your situation's hard. It's not fair. It's not good. It's bleak. And yet the Lord is good and kind and patient. He says, I'm right here. You can through this tribulation. You're not going to stay there forever. It's not going to be this way forever. And what if you found me in the process? Verse 14, these are those who came out of the great tribulation and they washed their robes and made them white. I said this earlier, these guys weren't saved because they were martyrs. They were saved because they were believers. They were martyred because they were saved. How did they get saved? Through the blood of the lambs. Interesting to say that they were made white through blood. Okay, anybody ever bleed on something and stain something with blood? Okay, blood's interesting. You get blood on, on a garment or something, man, that garment's good as gone. You, if you don't get to it right away with some vinegar and some other stuff on the internet now that you can find out what works, but if you wash and dry it, it's done, man. That blood's not coming off. Interesting. That as much as blood stains and won't be removed, that it is only blood that can remove your stains. Colossians 2 says that there is a handwriting of requirements written against you. Every wrong deed you've ever done. Ooh. Can you imagine if yours was posted up here? And we just like, you know, took a year and a half to read last week's. <laughs> Colossians 2 goes on to say, but it's illegible. You can't read it. It's been wiped clean by what? The blood of the lamb. What? You who are saved here, you're saved by the blood. It's a miracle. Isaiah 1.18 says, come, let's reason together. Your sins are like scarlet, but they shall be made white as snow. I want you guys to see a few more things, and this is why I lingered today instead of getting right into chapter 8. We ripped through these last verses. Verse 15, therefore, because the tribulation brought them to Jesus, because they were saved by blood, now they're in heaven. This is forever time. Therefore, they're before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. There's three things I want to point out quickly. Number one, they get to heaven, they go immediately to the throne. No purgatory, no wait list, no boxes to check. Immediately to the throne, okay? The elders are already there. The elders are seated. These are standing. There's a different group, okay? But they're right there, issued to the front of the line. Second thing I want to point out. The Bible says that they serve him day and night. The church also serves in a different way. The church has been given the responsibility of leading, ruling, and reigning, and serving with the Lord. These tribulation saints serve the Lord. There's a different working. But both tribulation saints, those who aren't believers yet, and church saints, that's you and me, will serve the Lord forever and ever. Let me just say this. Some people think heaven's going to be boring, sitting on a harp, you know, all fat and wearing half clothes. And, you know, it's like, what's going on here, you know? It's been a billion years. I haven't seen anybody. This is horrible, you know. That's not what heaven's going to be like. You and I, because guess what, guys? Did you realize that everything we've experienced now on planet Earth, okay, is broken, tainted, and perverted through sin? Can you imagine everything we've experienced now as perfected and redeemed and better? A lot of people like to speculate what heaven will be like. Will it have this? Will it have that? Will it be like, listen, let me just say this one thing. Heaven will not be worse than Earth, okay? Okay? Will there be coffee in heaven? Yes. Yes. Yes, and then all that's going to be there. Better, okay? It's not going to be worse. These guys there, they're serving. Let me just say this about serving. That, that's their relegation. Come into heaven, right to the front of the line. What are we going to do now that we're here? Oh, you get to serve. I don't know if you guys have figured this out yet, but serving the Lord is a privilege here and there. And I would pray that at least five, maybe 10 people today, okay, step up their game in serving the Lord here. 
You say, what in the world am I doing with my life? Okay? Whether I'm serving the Lord at South Beach Church or in international missions or locally volunteering at the rec center as a coach or as a teacher or with your family where you just get off your blessed assurance and give more. Jesus said this in John 4 when his disciples tried to feed him because he was previously hungry. Jesus said, no, I'm not hungry anymore. What? We just got you a bunch of cheeseburgers. Read John 4. And Jesus said, not hungry. My meat is to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus, who at one point earlier had been famished and tired, went to the well and asked a woman for water. He was so exhausted. And then he served her. Longest recorded conversation between Jesus and another person is that woman. And he gave her the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the boys got back, man, he was fired up. Why? Because it saved her life. Changed her. She went back into Samaria and she changed the lives of everyone in that village. And Jesus said, this is it. It is better to give than it is to receive, to serve the Lord. I remember the first time at the Ashton Christian Fellowship, someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, Luke, we need help passing out the communion and taking the tithe today. Would you stand right here and receive the communion elements and then pass them back and forth? <gasps> I get to do that? I remember what the shirt I was wearing, okay? It was such an impactful moment. I remember when I was asked to go to Mexico on a mission trip, when I was asked to serve. I remember the first time I listened to a radio station, a Christian radio station that said, we need monthly supporters. And I thought, can do that. This radio station's changed my life. And I called them up. I said, sign me up. Monthly support. I love what you guys are doing. You can take some of my money. And I remember giving tithe checks to ministries that have changed my life. And guys, somebody, five, 10, maybe 20 people today would say, let's do it. What are we doing here? What the heck, man? These guys, when they get to heaven, it's time to serve. Wouldn't that be awful to get to heaven and find out that that was the greatest thing that you missed out on on earth, serving the Lord? It also says that they are not just before the throne, not just serving him day and night, but that he's with them. Guys, I've gone way too long, but I need you to hear this. Heaven. What's your heaven going to be like? What, what, do you, what do you imagine? Unlimited rounds of golf? College football 24-7. Joanne's fabric for miles and miles. My mom. <laughs> Listen, let me just give you the two attributes of heaven that I want you to focus on the most that are going to blow your mind, okay? The absence of sin. Everything in this world that hurts you is because of sin. If it weren't for sin, everything in this world would bless you, everything. In heaven, there will be no sin. So Essentially, everything will be a blessing. Even Joanne Fabrics. It'll be a blessing. Right now, it's tainted by sin. I'm kidding. The second thing in heaven that will be a blessing, it's not just the absence of sin. Listen, and this is the most important thing. Won't be what we have there, but it'll be the presence of God. That is what's gonna make heaven, heaven. Not all the trinkets and the joys and the experiences and the things you imagine and even the family reunions. Those will be there. The one thing that will make all things come together is the very presence of God. See, you and I, when we were created, we walked in the cool of the day with, with our Father. And that's been tainted. And we don't know what it's like to truly be home. I'm going to have Pastor Ryan come up. He's going to lead us in a song. And I'll tell you one quick story. When Moses was leading the children of Israel through the wilderness, 
him and the Lord came to a fork in the road. And the Lord said this to Moses. He said, Moses, here's the deal. I love you guys. But it's apparent you don't love me. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a man of my word. I'm going to take you into the promised land. I'm going to send an angel before you. That angel is going to fight your battles. No enemy shall be stronger than you. You will take all the land I've promised. I'm going to do what I said. You'll be good. You'll be blessed. Unlimited rounds of golf. It's going to be amazing. Here's the catch, though, Mo. I'm not going to be there. I won't be there. Okay? Exodus 33. It's just going to be you and everything I said I'd give you. Doesn't, doesn't that sound okay? And Moses, listen, in the wilderness, under duress, under the 40-year curse, battles of rebellion and chaos, Moses looked at the Lord. He had a fast track into the promised land with everything. And Moses looked down. He said, wait, wait, you're not going with us? Nah. We'll stay here in the difficulties. We'll stay in the wilderness. We don't, I don't know the future now. There's the future. I could have it. I could have everything and know you. Nope. I just want you. Here's my question. Have you ever or do you know God's presence that way? I pray you do. I pray you know the joy of his presence. In his presence is fullness of joy. Better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than, than a thousand elsewhere. Psalm 27, one thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may behold the beauty of the Lord. Let me tell you guys something. His presence is available to you both now in the wilderness, in your life, his presence. What's heaven going to be like? Unobstructed presence. This is what you were made for. This is what all of humanity has been made for. This is why he hasn't yet returned. He's building a mansion, a, a house. If he would come back and take us. To do what? To be with him. I'm going to ask you guys to close your eyes. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your great grace, your great mercy, your great kindness. And as we come to the table now, it's demonstrated in your broken body, your spilled blood. The Bible declares to us as often as we do this to do it in remembrance of you, examining ourselves and proclaiming your death until you return. There's so many promises there. Acknowledging that you died. Acknowledging that we've sinned acknowledging that you're returning. And so, Lord, we confess and we repent of our sins, some small, some great, all sins. And as we come to the table, we rejoice in your great grace. And if you're here this morning and you would, with me, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond this way. If you've sinned this week or if you've just not been focused or if you're just here and you, you maybe were focused, but you're still not satisfied, you would want your life to be more focused on the presence of God. 
that he's with you. Like, like Moses, who, who didn't want the blessings without the blesser. If, that, if you're here this week and you, and you would say, Lord, I want your presence more in my life. Forgive me of my sins. I want your presence, Christians and non-Christians, become a Christian right now. I want your presence in my life. I want you to overwhelm my life. Would you right now just boldly raise up your hand and say, yes, Lord, I want you to overwhelm my life. Forgive me, Lord, for being sold out to lesser things, for being preoccupied, for being distracted, for being judgmental, for being small. Forgive me. Raise up your hand if you want more Jesus in your life. It's that simple, guys. My, both my hands are up, Lord. And in Jesus' name, we repent. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive me. And may we, Lord, be refreshed by the Holy Spirit even now as we come to the table and remind ourselves, Lord, that your broken body, your spilled blood is enough for us. We are clean because of the blood of the lamb. We do this now in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.